Hey guys, Colleen Wolf from NFL Network. And look, you may or may not know I'm from Philly. I'm ride or die Philadelphia, but especially when it comes to sports. So you guys need to check out Mike Small on the Killing Me Smalls podcast. This guy crushes it, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say next. You're killing me, Smalls! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Killing Me Smalls podcast. I am your host, Mike Small. On the pod today, my buddy, the great Keith Pompey, the Sixers beat reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer, will be joining us. I've been dying to talk to Keith since Jimmy Butler went on the J.J. Reddick podcast and had some things to say about why he may have left. We will also talk about Keith's impressions of the Yaron Weitzman book, Tanking to the Top as well as what I would expect us to talk about would be what in God's name could we expect of the Sixers if they come back and play this year. But first, I welcome you to subscribe to this podcast. Please give it a rating and a review. And also, please give me a follow on Twitter, at RealMikeSmall. Follow me, and I'll follow you right back. The Killing Me Smalls podcast is a proud part of the Painted Lines podcast network. Check out the site at PaintedLines.com or on YouTube. Let's bring Keith on to the podcast. All right, let's bring my guy Keith on to the pod. Keith, always a pleasure, my friend. What's up, man? Long time no speak. Absolutely. So you've been hiding on me, huh? <laughs> that, I wish, I wish. <laughs> that's the line you always give me. So I can't, I, know, I, gotta, right? I gotta give you credit, man. Every day I read an article in the Philadelphia Inquirer with another another twist of of what you can do with the Sixers, with the NBA season. It's got to be tough coming up with topics, huh? Yeah, it kind of sort of is. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, luckily, fortunately, there's a lot of different storylines and there's a lot of different options. But you're right. I mean, it, it would be great if we were playing basketball. But at the same time, basketball isn't important right now. We no. just have to try to get, you know, healthy get people healthy rather so for me i'm thinking in hypotheticals and you know i'm thinking about if the sixers don't finish the season or if they do finish the season what does that mean and i've been dying to talk to you since the jj reddick podcast where you had jimmy butler on there there was a lot to unpack from that i mean for me you know i think there have been a lot of rumors about jimmy butler and ben simmons not getting along but it sounded like to me, he put everything square in the lap of Brett Brown. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was no secret that he and Brett Brown didn't really get along. Um, or, you know, I mean, it, it was it was one of those things. I, I think that you know, there's the rumors that you know Jimmy and 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 uh, Ben didn't get along. You know, Jimmy and other people. I, I think that it was just one of those things where. Um, I think when they got into that argument or when everyone said that, you know, Jimmy blew up at practice and then a lot of people, and they even came on the podcast that Jimmy was actually speaking up for teammates. You know, I think that it kind of got blown out of proportion a little bit. You know, I also think that Jimmy is a guy who he's one of these guys. He, he means well, I mean, we all grew up with people like that. He's not the guy that when he comes to the group, he's going to say, hey, how you doing? He's going to be like, 
hey, bleep, 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 bleep. But that's just who he is. We all have friends like that. And I think that, you know, it kind of sort of rubbed Brett Brown or, or, or the wrong way. Um, but again, Jimmy is just a personality. He's the type of guy who he doesn't like to be told what to do. He's the type of guy with an extremely high basketball IQ, and he's a veteran, and he's used to things being done a certain way. And if they're not, he's going to speak up, and he's going to say what he means, and, and he's, he's just going to you know be vocal about it. And I think all that kind of like rubbed Brett Brown the wrong way. But if you look at it, you can say, well, Dad, maybe they would have been a little bit better if they would have had Jimmy and JJ back this year. You know, well, but I, I, I think just, you can make personality. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. you can make that argument. I, I, uh, you know, being that we have time on our hands, I thought it would be fun to go back and look at the press conference when Elton Brand and Josh Harris introduced Al Horford, Tobias Harris, and Josh Richardson, and Kyle O'Quinn, and everybody else to the new team. And you really did have that energy and feeling like this was going to be a better situation and a better team. It hasn't, and I want to talk about that, but before that, I, I'm I'm still stuck on this Jimmy Butler thing. Not as much about him coming back to the Sixers. Okay, you know what? It was going to be a, a five-year deal for a guy you know, who's got some wear and tear on his tires and, and can be a pain in the neck sometime. sometimes. I get that. The issue to me is a bigger one, and that's the exposure of Brett Brown, and that's something I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, during this break as I go back and uh, try to kill some time and fill my basketball needs mentally. I mean, I thought that was the nail in the coffin for me. Uh, The way And JJ talked about liking Brett on the podcast but didn't defend him as a coach. I thought that was interesting as well. And I also thought a lot of the indictments in the Jerome Weitzman book, Tanking to the Top, really point the finger squarely at Brett Brown as somebody who's not able to galvanize his team as a leader. Am I overreading this? No, I don't think so. I mean, well, here's the thing. I I think it was part of the problem in the beginning from day one. It was a culture that was basically established. You know, I mean, you you have Brett, he wants to coach the team. Um, You know, you had Sam Hinkie who wanted to be the GM. And I think the culture was established early on to whereas we got these young guys, we're going to tank. We don't have any veteran leaders. And there wasn't anybody who basically said that, you know, this is what you do. This is what you do. And I think that stuff like that gets, you know, um, out of, out of hand. I mean, you know, everyone's not like a Greg Popovich, but then you also got to understand that. And Greg Popovich, he had a couple guys who, you know, and, um, David Robinson, who was in the Navy of Naval Academy, who, you know, took the discipline, you know, to Tim Duncan, who was a soft spoken guy, you know, to the couple of these other guys who came from overseas. So it was a matter of, you know, you're dealing with different types of animals and you can get away with different types of things with them. And I just think that, you know, the culture this just was established in, in the, in, in, you know, in the, in the during the process early on that led to guys getting away with things. And when you continue to do that, it tends to get out of hand. It's interesting if you break it down as to where they got to a point. And what I mean by that is, you know, you really thought that the team was on the rise two years ago, you know, when they lost that series to the Celtics and it's, 
And it was probably, you know, hard to fire Brett Brown at that point because they had just won 52 games. They come back, they do the star hunting thing. They bring in Butler, they bring in Tobias Harris, take, take Toronto to game seven. So it's, it's almost hard to fire Brett, but when you put all the pieces together, to your point, back in the process with, with what we learned about Nerland's Noel, um, not being disciplined at all, Jaleel Okafor, not being disciplined or managed at all, Joel Embiid constantly having to get in shape, Ben Simmons, you know, ever since the day Brett said he wanted Ben Simmons to shoot once a game, he hasn't taken one three-pointer since then. I think they might need an alpha dog as a coach, and I just don't know if they'll be able to get one. But right now, it seems to me there's a strong discipline discipline problem on this team. True, but it's also not just the coach. I mean, it's the culture. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's the culture. You know, I mean, but yeah, isn't the coach the culture though? I mean, if, no, if I mean, I see no. what you're saying about Elton Brand and the ownership, but the I'm not coach, you know, about Elton. But what I'm saying is, this is what I'm saying. I mean, we can go on and you can talk about, yeah, does Brett Brown? Do they need to go give it a new coach? Of course, but you got to realize something. I think that the thing that happens is it gets to a point where, you know, how much power does a coach have when players hang out with owners? You know what I mean? How much power does the coach have? And yes, it would be great if he was that type of guy. But I also think that, you know, every year that someone became the escape goat. Like when stuff goes wrong, it becomes the escape goat. Like, for instance, we can go back to, you can go all the way back to Andrew Bynum when Andrew Bynum was here. They had problems, but it was always someone else. Now, again, you know, yeah, Brett Brown might have been better off saying, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And maybe if he was stricter and this and that. But no one told them to give him um, a three-year, $15 million contract. You know, no one told them to extend his contract after he won 10 games one year. You understand what I'm saying? And no one told them last year after, the, you know, everyone said that if he didn't make it to the conference finals, he was going to be fired. And then they have a meeting at the 11th hour and decide that he's not going to be fired. Then they come back and say, hey, we never said that. So, in other words, is yeah, is Brett Brown, is, is, is Brett Brown, of, um, some people can consider him the problem right now. Some people can say that. But they've been saying that for a couple of years now. But they kept extending them. So whose fault is it? Is it his fault or is it their fault because they kept extending them? Is it his fault that, you know, the players got empowered to where they don't listen to the coach? You know what I mean? So, I mean, it, it you know, it, I, I, again, I'm not taking up for Brett. And, and I think that Brett probably will lose his job if they come back. I mean, depending on how much money they lose, you know, and I think that if the, if the season would have went all the way through, and they would have, you know, failed to reach it to the uh, conference finals, which would have been a huge possibility. I think Brett Brown would have been fired. But at the same time, I do believe that Brett Brown isn't the only problem here. You know, right now, yes, you can go in there and you can get a disciplinarian coach, but and he can do certain things. But it's also a players' league, and I think that once you start giving people enough power and you start doing things and then all of a sudden they run what's going on. Uh, 
it's bigger than just the coach at that particular time. But again, I get you early on, but you know, there were some problems and, you know, last year there were some problems. A lot of the fans felt like Brett Brown should have been fired. They brought him back. And now the same fans are saying, Hey, he has to go. He has to go. Well, they brought him back. They kept it. When, when they, when they were tanking, a lot of the fans were saying, you know, I know they're struggling, but I don't know if Brett's the right coach. Well, they gave him an extension. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, I, I understand completely. The question that I have yeah. back at you is, you know, you you had said, um, you know, the opposite of Brett would be a disciplinarian coach, like a Tom Thibodeau or something like that. I, I think it's there's a difference between a disciplinarian and a coach that has cachet, somebody that the players respect based on accomplishment. Um, Pat Riley had that obviously when he went from New York to Miami. Uh, I don't know who would be out there, but somebody like that, I think would be it. I'm not saying Pat Riley, that's a once in a generation, but somebody like that, that has credibility that walks in a locker room and the players go, Oh man, we got to listen to this guy. Do you think there's somebody like that that could be available? Yeah, but I'm not going to name names right now, too. I mean, like, soon when he, if, if something happens, I mean, there are several guys on the tip of my tongue, but I don't think it's kind of respectful, like, once a guy, like, dead man walking. That's like saying, hey, Mike, I got somebody that's going to replace you. And and I, believe me, I have the utmost respect for you, but, you know, I've been asked that on several radio stations to come up with certain coaches, and I just won't do it. I mean, I think, like, the ideal coach, though, without naming names, like for what you're saying is it's going to have to be someone who was a player and someone who who won a championship and someone who basically these a younger guy who some of these guys can relate to. You know what I mean? That's what I think. Um, there you there are certain guys out there I think on a short list um, that people can basically you know if. if if they know what I'm talking about, they follow those things. There are a couple guys out there right now, but I just would hate to, you know, do the dead man walking thing on Brett Brown just for respect of him. You know what I mean? I I respect you for that. And I will come back to you and we will talk about Tim Duncan and some of the other people that could be out there. You see what I I did there? Tim Duncan would be a good (laughs) coach though. I don't think he would be. No, I don't either actually, but that fills the, uh, that fits exactly what you were saying. Guy on a, Who's younger, won a championship, multiple championships. But yeah, I agree nah, with I'm you. That, about, but there's certain people out there that's younger who won championships as coaches. Oh right. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll we'll save yeah. that for another we'll save that for another day. Let's take a quick break. Normally we would bring a commercial to you talking about getting fired up with my guy Kobe Fryer. But with COVID nineteen, I thought I'd bring Kobe onto the podcast to talk a little bit about how He can help people that might be struggling in a car situation or having a financial situation around a car. I wanted to just ask you a couple of questions about how you can help some of our listeners with some of their car needs. A couple of the questions that I thought about were, you know, what if your lease is up this month and you have to trade it in? Or what if you can't make your payment? Or if you have a lease situation, what are are some things that they can do? and, And thank you for volunteering to help our listeners. Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. Long-time listener. Like I said, I've been here since the beginning. It's, uh, it is crazy, crazy times. And the most important thing to, is keep our staff safe and keep our customers safe and keep everybody safe. Like, this isn't a time where we're really thinking about pushing out cars. But, 
you know, there are circumstances, there are necessities, you know, people are in panic mode. And, um, you know, if you follow me on Facebook, you follow me on LinkedIn or Instagram, any of that stuff, you know, get fired up or just me, Kobe Fryer on Facebook, you'll see I talk about it a lot. And, uh, you know, whether you're my customer, whether you're not my customer, I really don't care. If people are struggling, now's the time where I, you know, I have 30 years of experience that I can help them. If it's as simple as negotiating a, de- a deferment for them on their payments to our banks or their bank that they're financed with, I can help them out with that. I can, you know, script it for them or I can even make the call for them. I've got no problem. Uh, if somebody's lease is up, we are, you know, uh, Governor Murphy in New Jersey as of Monday said that we could sell cars by appointment curbside if we took every precaution. So we do have the ability to help people out that their leases are up or God forbid they're in an accident, they're totaled or they need a car and they can just contact me and we'll do most of the thing. Most of the, the negotiations will be done by Zoom. Uh, all the paperwork will be done back and forth through email and we'll deliver them the car. No test driving, anything like that. We just don't want contact with them or with us. If they don't like the car, something happens, I'll give them four days to change their mind. No questions asked. That's great. Kobe, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, easiest way is my cell phone number. You know, it's not like I'm going anywhere. And I'd love some human contact. So <laughs> uh, 609-706-2101 or Facebook, Instagram, get fried up, Facebook, Kobe Fryer, or that's C-O-B-Y-F-R-I-E-R or LinkedIn, Kobe Fryer. Uh, like I said, reach out to me with any questions. I have a lot of solutions for your car needs. I have a lot of solutions for your insurance needs. Uh, if I don't know the answer, I can find out for you. It's pretty simple. Or you can get in touch with me, and I will put you in touch with Kobe through the podcast. Thanks, Kobe. This is Ian Rappaport from NFL Network. You're killing me, Smalls. Stay tuned for more from Mike Small. So let's say the Sixers come back. Let's say one of these 500 plans comes to fruition where the NBA comes back, plays a short season, and goes into the playoffs. Is there a part of you that thinks they'll be better because they're rested? Hopefully Ben Simmons is healthy. We haven't heard a word about Ben Simmons' health, which I think is kind of weird. But I think that you know some of the, the nagging injuries, I don't think Al Horford's been healthy since, since December. Um, they could be better. They could be. I think it all depends on Embiid, all of it. If Embiid comes in and he's motivated, if he comes in in shape, and like you said, Al Horford gets a little – because you're right. He has not playing with nagging injuries. You have to give him power. But also, if the coaching staff can, you know, get him more involved in the game plan, you know, with Embiid playing, if, if Simmons does come back, you know, I think – you know, it's all, I mean, that's great, but it's all about Joel Embiid. If Joel Embiid, if Joel Embiid comes to play and if he's in shape, Joel Embiid is the most dominant player in the NBA if he wants to be. And I think the fact that them getting a break and coming back and getting their head together, you know, it, they should say, hey, you know what? Before we were drinking the Kool-Aid, like you said in that press conference and doing all this stuff. Now we really know what it's like to get smacked in the mouth. Let's come out. Let's all be accountable and let's play. But they need Joel Embiid to be the beast that they thought he was going to be or the 
beast that they think he can be. And if he can do that, I think the 76ers could surprise a couple people, or not surprise people, but they can live up to the expectations that they, we had for him. You know, because let's face it, I mean, we were talking about Brett Brown, you know, everyone saying like, oh, he has to go, he has to do this. You know, if I'm Brett Brown, I'm, what I want to do is the first thing is I want to make sure that my family is safe, including his parents, everyone, his sister, all of them. I want to make sure that all my uh, everybody in my family is safe. And then after that, I'm hunkering down and I'm going through just about every all the game film I can go through. Stuff of Al Horford when he was in Atlanta, Boston, go through all the game through this um, game film this year. And I'm trying to devise a plan to make this team better. But again, it also all depends on Joel Embiid. If he comes back in shape and if he comes back motivated, I think the Sixers can live up to the expectations. So not to get back to what we talked about in the first segment, but isn't that the complete reason why you need a new coach? Don't you need somebody? I don't think... I, I get the feeling that Simmons and Embiid are done with Brett. I mean, they I'm sure they like him. They say nice things about him. He's a good guy. They don't respect him because if you respect him, you're going to come back in shape if you're Embiid and you're going to shoot three-pointers if you're Simmons and because that's what he wants you to do. Um, I guess, but dude, the coach didn't put this roster together. Like, here's the thing about the NBA nowadays. So... You know, yeah, you know, they, 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 I mean, here's the thing about the, then you look at the Sixers, right? You have Al Horford, who is the backup center, making $28 million this year. But to justify that, you got to say he's the starting power forward, too. And then you have Joel Embiid, the starting center, making 27.5. There is no other team in the NBA that, that, that allocated that much money for that position. So when you factor it in, you look at the bench, you look at the Clippers, you look at other teams, you've got guys like Lou Williams making starters money. They're not making the max, but they're making starters money to come off the bench. The way this roster was constructed is hard for them to win. Now, again, they're saying this team is built for the playoffs. Yeah, because in the playoffs, you shrink the roster. So I think that there's two things. Yeah, you can say what you you know, but people say about you know players you know, playing and 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 going hard for the coach. But at the same time, the roster is flawed. You know, last year, in order for you to, so you have to decide. So here's the thing: in order for Ben Simmons to be successful, you know, Al Horford works with him as a center because he gets out and go and stuff like that. But you also need another ball handler with Ben. Because there's going to come points in time when you want Ben to play the point forward. So you need uh, another ball handler out there with them. They don't have that in the, in the starting lineup they had. And then when you're with Embiid in a half-court setting, you need a guy who, first of all, you need another closer because you know that Embiid is one of those things where guys always double and triple team him in the end and he turns the ball over. So if you have another closer, that might help out a little bit, right? They don't have that. And you also need a space setter. They don't have that. So we can talk about Brett and, you know, and, and you can say that they need to upgrade it. But when you look at this roster, it's great for fantasy basketball, or it was. 
it just didn't work out. The pieces didn't fit. And, 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 uh, and they came to that realization when they decided to bench Al Horford or bring him off the bench, make him come off the bench. So, again, I get what you're saying, you know, and I get it. But it's deeper than the coach to me because the pieces just don't fit. Well, the only thing I'd push back on you on that is they call it the collaborative, right? And Brett Brown helped put Elton Brand in his place. And I can't see them signing Al Horford or any of these other guys without Brett blessing it. Right? Yeah, but do you really think? Uh, I, I don't know. I think that. I mean, just picture this. that It's that day in June and they say, look, you want Jimmy Butler back or we can get Josh Richardson and, and bring in Al Horford, get some leadership veteran presence back up Joel and he can play some four. He's probably like, hell yeah. Right. I guess I wasn't in the, I mean, I guess, but my, my thing is he's a coach. And when they say collaborative, you know, we're, we're talking about a coach, you know, I mean, you know, I, and, and I get it, but I, I think that, you know, when, when you look at MB, you can, and for your argument, you can say, you look at MB, MB is going to get hurt. We're, we're going to, we're going to try to get somebody who can come in and play games. Yeah. Let, let's work it out. But if you got to depend on your coach who, you know, we're talking about collaborative and he gives the blessing. Um, I'm, to me, that's a whole lot different than the people in the front office making a decision. You know, the coach, the coach is looking like, okay, if he's going to help us win, help us win. But it just seems like the pieces didn't fit. Now, maybe you can make an argument and say it's up to him to devise a plan to make it fit. But the problem is, you know, bigger than that is if you don't have a guy who's going to shoot from the perimeter or your point guard, and then his best spot is to get in, in, in on, on, a, on a block, then you got three guys on the block. You know what I mean? That's part of the problem. Now, my thing is, are you going to bench the all-star point guard? You know, you know, hey, but now I think that the Sixers, they would have been, I mean, you know, hindsight is always better, you know, in 2020. But I think that, you know, and for the Sixers, they would have been better off bringing in another, another like point guard, a combo guard, so to speak. That's someone who can take some of those duties away from Ben. You know what I mean? And and then who can create some space at times. Shake but it Milton. just seems like, huh? Maybe that's Shake Milton. Yeah, it's Shake Milton, but what uh, I'm but did they they never knew who who Shake Milton was until the end of the season. They didn't know who Shake Milton was until um Josh Richardson and Ben Simmons got hurt. No, you're right about that. But I mean going forward he can he can solve a lot of the the issues. So I guess, I guess my I'll just wrap it up with this because we you know we can go hindsight all day and and that's why I thought that press conference was fun to go watch. I'd recommend you doing it because um, I think it was you or somebody else asked you know aren't you concerned about getting offense and and Brett was like it's going to come together. Um, although he said you know the offense would be together by Christmas, but that's another discussion. I guess what I'm asking you is. Going forward, assuming the Sixers don't get to the finals, we talked about Brett. Would you give this roster another shot, or would you do all you could to get Horford off the off the team and and try to get a little bit smaller? I think they're going to try to, but I don't. I don't know if there's a lot of teams that are going to take that contract off their off their hands. I'm sorry. I mean, they may they may look up and get one, 
But that's a lot of money for a guy who's about to turn 34, you know, and, and a guy who who didn't exactly have one of his better seasons. You know, I, I think that, you know, like, and if you get rid of him, what are you going to get back in return? You know, I, I just think that, unfortunately, and then you look at Tobias Harris's contract, that's a lot of money as well. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, Josh Richardson, but, you know, that's $11 million comparable to, you know, the 28 and the 32. So I, I don't know. Like, I, you know, again, like you said, you may have to, you know, what a, what a, most likely they'll probably get a new coach. But I, I think they just have to try to figure out and work it out. I mean, I think that some of these moves they made might have hurt them in regards to trading. Well, if they had to get rid of somebody, Tobias or Horford, figuring maybe you'd have to stick Richardson in there to get him to take a contract or the Oklahoma City draft pick or whatever it is, because Richardson's only got a, a year left on his deal. Who do you think's more tradable? Which contract do you think is more movable? Wow. That's a tough I don't one bring you on for easy questions, Keith. This I'm putting you to work today. No, I mean, it, it's a tough one just because, you know, Tobias, that's 180. Tobias is younger. You know, Tobias may be able in the right situation. You know, he can do some things. The only thing about Al is, you know, Al has been playing, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, he, he's been playing through the pain. You know, Al Horford, when he's the backup center, he looks well. I mean, he plays well. But the only thing is, it's like you, you're a little fearful of what's going to happen at 34 and 35, and you still have that on the books. Now, maybe if you lump him in with with Josh Richardson, but the problem with that is, you know, Josh Richardson, you know, he's going to be up for a new contract in a couple of years. Yeah. So you may trade for Josh, and then Josh might be saying, hey, man, it was nice knowing y'all, but I'm about to test free agency. I'm trying to get paid. So... I mean, that's a tough one, but, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Tobias, but again, you, you have to know that, uh, that's 180 million. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. You know, that's a lot, but you know, maybe, maybe Tobias, because I don't like if the situation is wrong, Josh may not want to stay. If you go to Sacramento or somewhere, you know what I mean? He may want to come back home. You know, he may want to go back to Miami. You know, I mean, I've had a theory on Horford all year. Um, I went to the first game that his first game that he returned to Boston. He did not play. The Sixers won the game on the road, which you probably remember because they didn't win too many of them on the road. And Horford couldn't play because um, I forgot what the actual injury was. But I think he came back too soon and was not good when he came back. And I don't think he's ever been healthy since that time. I I feel like giving him another shot, to be honest with you. Yeah, probably. And here's the thing, like, just to go ahead with the whole Brett Brown thing. You know, I understand that what people say about Brett Brown, but I also think that is also like low hanging fruit. Like, it's easy to say right now, you got to get rid of him. You have to get rid of him. But you never talk about that. I think the problems, yes, the coach, you know, he could have made some better decisions. Yes. You know, when you have so many high powered uh, or high priced players, the coach is the guy to go. But to me, it's just one of those things where, you know, there is a lot of things that went wrong with this team, a lot. And it's just easy to pinpoint him. But there's some other bigger issues, you know, like 
Um, and it, it, to me, I do think that, you know, put it like this, if the season would have con- continued all the way through, right, and they would have struggled, I do believe that he would be gone. The only thing that I, I still think that he's going to go, but I feel like if the owners, like if the season doesn't resume and the owners will say, well, you know what? We don't want to go out there and hire a high price guy right now. Maybe we may give Brett another chance. And if he struggles early on, then we'll fire him and we'll have an interim coach, so to speak, for the rest of the season, talking about next year. But to me, it just seems like, you know, it's, it's easy to kill him right now. It just really is. You know, and it just seems like everyone keeps doing it. I understand why but I don't think he was the only problem. That's no, I agree opinion. with you. And I'll wrap it up with this opinion. I mean, I look at, I look at the coach as, as the person that needs to be in charge of all things having to do with, with the team. And I, you know, if you look at college, nobody's looking at the athletic director. If, if Duke doesn't do well, they're looking at Mike Krzyzewski. No one's looking at the yeah. athletic director. If Alabama doesn't do well, they're looking at, at Nick Saban. And Nobody's looking at R.C. Buford if San Antonio doesn't do well. They're looking at Greg Popovich. They need an alpha dog. They need somebody that is going to lead and have the respect of the players, take accountability, and set up a culture of accountability. And I think all the problems with ownership, um, all the problems, whatever you think about Elton Brand, um, whatever you think about any of it, goes away with an alpha dog as a coach, somebody who's credible. That's that's Mike Small theory. I agree. I agree. Keith, man, I love you as a guy and I love having you as a guest on the podcast. And I hope you and your family stay safe. I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. It's always a lot of fun to talk basketball. And I always learn something when I talk to Keith Pompey. Keith, tell everybody how they can how they can find you. You can follow me on Twitter on uh, Pompey on Sixers. And you can read my stuff in inquire.com. And you got a podcast. Oh, yeah. Locked on Sixers. I didn't know you wanted to plug that. Hey, man. Locked on Sixers. Yeah. You gave me my podcasting start, so I always plug you. (laughs) Keith, thanks a lot for joining today. All right. Thank you.